0: Welcome, thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, I know that uh, we've been in this series on Cocoon and we're about to launch an incredible series, The Case For," where we're gonna have Lee Strobel, we're gonna look at key issues regarding evangelism, questions people have about Christ, the Bible, about miracles. And I'm excited for that, and I'm thankful for this last series, but this weekend, we're just going to stop and we're going to pause. And we're going to focus on a subject that we don't talk about enough, racial injustice, specifically racial injustice in our country, racial injustice in the church, and why it should matter so much to us. The events of the last two weeks, when on March 25th, George Floyd, that video that emerged of George on the ground, and for eight minutes and 46 seconds, a police officer had his knee on his neck. I don't know if you've watched the whole video. I'd encourage you. It is hard to watch, especially when you think of that long a period of time. And in it, it it has erupted again in our country, this pain and the trauma and the frustration and, and the violence that we see and the protest. And as we look at it, there's a part of me, there's a sense of sadness. You know, I grew up in the South. The city I grew up in, Memphis, Tennessee, when I was one years old, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot standing on the balcony outside of his hotel room at the Lorraine Motel. And the impact that had on our country, and especially on Memphis as a city, the stain that it left, the racial tensions that you felt growing up, as we wrestled with it. And i got to tell you, there's a sense of sadness as I look up, and here we are 52 years later. I'm in California And yet you still feel that pain and the trauma. I can understand why black men and women are coming forward and they're going, it's enough. I can understand why they're calling all of us to look at this, to deal with this, especially in the church. I got to tell you, I got a sense of trepidation even in a message like this. I recognize my perspective is so limited as a white man, speaking on this. And I really would encourage you, there are so many strong black pastors and leaders that you need to listen to. Guys like Brian Leritz, and Mike Todd, and Eric Mason, Dr. Tony Evans, incredible speaker, or Miles McPherson. We need to hear from them, because they bring power, they bring perspective that we need. But as your pastor... I can't be silent. I think sometimes in the white community, we're so scared of saying something the wrong way that we don't say anything at all. And that has devastating consequences. I want you to listen to the words of Reverend Lawrence Aker III. He's a black pastor of the historic Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn. As he talks about this, he says, don't try to ignore it. It is a biblically and culturally relevant issue. Don't throw up your hands and say, well, it's too complicated, who knows what to say, I'll just let the black church deal with this. The Old Testament prophets said, woe to those who take their ease. And even Dr. King said that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This issue affects all of us. Racial issues impact congregations of all colors because the fall of Adam continues to trickle down. We live in a fallen society. And so we have to talk about it. And we have to wrestle with it. And and the reality is it can't just be a sermon. It can't be just something of the moment. And when the news cycle goes away, we stop talking about it or dealing with it or moving into it because it's not gonna go away. And God cares about it. And there are issues related to it. You know, I've entitled this sermon, and again, I'm not trying to solve all the complicated issues, and I'm certainly not gonna speak from other perspective. I just speak to our church and why this matters to us. And there's five key issues that emerged for me of why racial injustice why, why we have to deal with it. And, and when you look at it and the impact, here's the first issue. The first issue, it's a biblical issue. It's a biblical issue, guys. And here's what I mean when I say that. If we believe the Bible, then racial and social justice is important to us. If we are the people that would say, man, we hold this as God's word, then we should be the people most passionate about it. We're the people that actually have a basis for what we believe. We're we're the people that when we say all men are created equal, what is the basis for making that statement? As Christians, as people who hold the Bible true, you know why we can say that? Because all people were created in God's image. It's because they're image bearers. Because we believe that actually every person is fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when you demean anyone, when you put anyone down, when you make anyone less than human or less than you, it's not just a statement about them. Here's what we got to realize. It's a statement about our God. Because God looks at that person and says, that's my image bearer. That person is precious in my sight. That person was fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why when it describes around Jesus' throne, the description there, it says there'll be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. That the glory of God is manifest so that we can see across all cultures, across all races, across all people, the glory of our God as his image bears, and on that day, we will be fully redeemed in it. So in a country where we've taken people, they're treated as slaves, bought and sold, that that even when they emerge out of slavery, treated as, as lower and lesser, separate. And you have that years and years of trauma and pain When in our fallenness, I I, I like how Reverend Akers put it. This is an issue of fallenness. I was reading one study. It said every child is born with a natural bias, even a racial bias. But it emerges as racism if we don't speak into it and call out and recognize it and be honest about it. See, this is a biblical issue. And, and and you can't read through the Bible without hearing God's passion about racial and social injustice. And I don't have the time to read all the verses, but you look at the different sections of Scripture. You you look at Psalm 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted. You were here from Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Zechariah 7.9, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion. You read through the New Testament as this new church is coming together and they had to speak to these issues because these have been issues that have always plagued us. These are issues that the nation of Israel dealt with. These are issues that the early church dealt with. In fact, Ephesians 2, Paul writes to the church because they were struggling between Jew and Gentile. And he says, Christ has broken down the wall. And he's speaking about a specific wall in the temple that that a Gentile was not allowed to go past for worship. And Paul says, no, Christ broke that wall down. We don't have that kind of separation anymore. And yet, even though it it says that in Scripture, we often experience that in our church. So we have to address what God says in it. You look at James 2, where he speaks so forthright. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. You guys, these, these are just sampling. This is a consistent theme through scripture. In fact, I'd encourage you, there's a section of scripture that speaks about it the most, the prophets, the prophets. And we often think of prophets as the ones that they're telling prophecies of the future. That's part of what they did. It was actually a small part of it. That's called foretelling. They're gonna foretell the future. You know what the bigger part of their role was? It's called forthtelling. I have to tell you the truth about what's going on. You know, as you you read through the Old Testament, in particular, in, in the books of the prophets, I don't know about you, a lot of times I've done Bible reading plans, read through the Bible in a year. How many times have you had your Bible reading plan die when you get to the prophets? It just seems like they go on and on and they're long and they feel grumpy all the time. Always in a bad mood. Why is that? It's because of this issue. More than anything else, as they look at the people of Israel, over and over, you'll hear the prophets say, you're doing the right sacrifice. You go through the right motions. You do the right worship. But how are you treating others? How are you treating the oppressed? How are you living this out? You know, one of the best verses around this, Micah 6.8, he's told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? I don't know, when I was growing up, this verse was a song. And we sang it. It was kind of a light song. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Poor version of it. Nice songs. Great way to memorize scripture. But you know, when we were a kid or we were in youth group and we were kind of singing the song, it was just kind of this sweet song. You love that. Oh yeah, I love that song. We never really put it in context. When he says, why is he answering this? He's answering this because the writer, Micah, as he's prophesying, the people are asking, what do we have to do to be right with you, God? God, why are you upset with us? Do we need to do more sacrifices? Do we need to bring you a thousand bulls? Do we need to sacrifice our firstborn? They keep going up and up and up if you look at the verses right before this. And then Micah just speaks out and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. God told you what you need to do. Don't act like you haven't been told. And and look what he says, three things. And look at the very first one. Do justice. Do right by people. Do for those who, who can't do. For the oppressed, for the looked down upon for the immigrant, for those of other race. See, God cares passionately about these issues. And notice what he puts in this. He doesn't say feel justice or even speak about justice. It's something you do. It's something you do. It's one of the things I've appreciated about this generation. I know people talk about millennials and next generation and all that's wrong with it. You know the one thing I love about them? They wanna do something. They don't wanna just talk about something, they wanna make a difference. They want to see change. And and the key of it is right now is not just doing something quickly, doing something during the news cycle, but consistently moving into it. Justice is something you do. You love kindness. This word is actually mercy. You love mercy. You love to extend to others what God's extended to you. It becomes your heartbeat. And I think this last phrase is so important right now. You walk humbly with your God. You walk humbly before him, recognizing your own fallenness, admitting your own bias, being willing to confess where we've hurt and done wrong. And and I know that's different for different people in that, but if we lived out the core of this verse, if we embraced what this really meant, You know, nobody lived this out better than Jesus Christ. Nobody spoke to this issue more directly. Guys, there's there's a reason Jesus would would tell a story like the Good Samaritan. There's a reason he chose the Samaritan as the hero of the story. Because that was the person for his audience, they looked down upon. That, That was a group they considered less. And Jesus says, let me tell you about a guy who really lives out what God's called us to do. Just even telling the story was radical. I mean, is there any more clarion call than what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7? So whatever it is you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is everything that's summed up in it. How do you treat other people the way you want to be treated. And and, and in all this right now, because I know there's inflamed emotions and terms are used and and people wrestle with it, but could we just stop for a moment? And and if you just, no matter who you're looking at, no matter who you may disagree with, if you just looked at them and you put yourself in their shoes and, and you asked for them, I want them to be treated the way I'm treated. I want them to experience life. I want them to experience all that's out there. That's so the core of this. Guys, I I, I have blitzed pretty quickly through this issue, the biblical issue, but but here's where it's really important for us because as a church, we have declared we believe the Bible. We love the Bible. We trust the Bible. Here's the reality about the Bible. The, The Bible, no matter who you are, is going to cut across your life. It cuts across who you are. And and it calls for really hard things. And and for some people, it's the sexual standards of the Bible. And, And if you look at it, if you go, man, if I was going to really live out what the Bible says, that's hard. For some people, it's the issue of money. I mean, the Bible says so much about money. And if you really lived out what the Bible says, man, you look at it and you go, that is hard. For some, it's how how you treat others. Some, all all different. If you keep reading the Bible, you keep studying the Bible, if you cherish the Bible, I don't care who you are, it says it's like a sword. It cuts to the soul level. It exposes us. It calls us up. And if we're going to be people who say we believe the Bible, we have to take all parts of the Bible. Maybe those sections we've not looked at enough. We've not applied enough. And even as we say that, it makes us uncomfortable. It should. That's part of that growth process. It's a biblical issue. It's not a side issue. It's a core biblical issue. The second thing I'd say with this, it's a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship issue. Now, why do I say that? Because in the Bible, power and privilege are released to serve others. Anytime in the Bible you look at the issues of power, you look at privilege... They're not held on to, they're released. And I think this is important because this is one of the key terms people argue about in that, the the issue of white privilege. And and some people, oh, there's no such thing as white privilege or they fight against it. And and even as I say that, I know some of you, maybe that agitates you a little bit, that's okay. There's a part there for, if you talk to to those in the black community, they look at it and they go, "Uh, it's pretty obvious, the privileges. One of my closest friends, a friend of mine, Lloyd, we were just comparing notes about parenting. And uh, we, we've known each other, loved each other for 20 years. He's black. And uh, in our relationship and over time, we've developed enough trust. When we can just kind of talk. I can ask him questions. He can ask me questions. And one of the times he, he, he said to me, he goes, you know, with your sons, because he's got two sons who are now adults, he goes, with your sons, you didn't have to have the talk with them. And I was like, "You mean the sex talk?" And he goes, "No. The talk about what do you do when the police pull you over? How do you respond in a way that you don't escalate it? Because it, it's not safe. And, and, and hear me, this one of my closest friends, he, he's a mission leader. We went to seminary together. And as he talked about it, he's not just talking about it theoretically. When his son is stopped by the police for jogging in his neighborhood. The neighborhood where he lived. In Colorado. We're not not talking about deep south anymore. When he's pulled over. The police just said, well, we're checking for drugs. There's no other reason for being pulled over in that. And, And as he talked about it as a dad. He goes, you know, the fear I live in. In those situations. Guys, he's not alone. I'd encourage you, talk to African-American parents. Talk to black parents. It's a burden that they've carried that I haven't had to carry. I, I fear a lot of things for my kids. That's not been one of them. That's not something I've had, had to, to weigh in my life in that. And I look at that and I go, you know, not even carrying that is a privilege. There's opportunities that are there. You know, one of the things that's happening, you're, you're hearing more leaders, more pastors. And as they share what they've experienced in that, we, we have to hear those stories. You can't just dismiss that. And as we hear it, can, can we just look at it? And instead of fighting over this issue, this is what I can't stand for us in the church. you want to fight over privilege and who had it and who has the power. For Christians, we think differently. And look at Jesus told us when it came to power. Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. You don't live that way. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be the slave to all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He he says, we don't do power grab like the rest of the world. We don't look out for ourselves. In fact, if you have power, if you've been given any privilege, here's what you do. You steward it for those you can serve. It's not what I can hold on to. It's what I can give away. And, And when you bring Jesus' perspective... Isn't it amazing how it changes? Isn't it amazing how he lived? I mean, think about it for just a moment. Is there anybody who ever walked on the planet who had more inherent privilege or power than Jesus Christ? I mean, the privilege of being God, the power of being God, everywhere he went, no one compared to him. And yet, isn't it interesting, in all the charges against Jesus, all the things people said about him, no one ever said, oh, he used his power, he used his privilege to abuse others. In fact, Philippians 2 says that even though he existed as equal with God, even though he's God, he did not regard his his power, his equality with God as something he had to hold on to. But he emptied himself so that he could become a servant. And you look at him, the most powerful person, and there he is with his own disciples. And where is he? He's on his knees, washing feet. Guys, there's a big difference between having your knee on someone's neck and being on your knees and washing feet. That's what he modeled, and that's what he called us to. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. I'm telling you to live this way. And I think for each of us, no matter where you are, your walk of life, each of us is called as followers of Christ to ask how am I stewarding well what he's given me? Maybe privileges he's given me. How am I stewarding well the power of my life? The power of the resources that he's given, whether it's money or time. The power of my voice. The power of your position in your company. The power of your vote. I mean, all these things you're called to steward well, and you think about those who don't have it. And how do I release that For the sake of serving them. See, as Christians, we have to think about this differently. Because Christ calls us to it. The third thing I'd say around that, the third issue, it's a relational issue. It's a relational issue. And in that, understanding and trust are built in relationship. So much of what we're dealing with right now is there's not trust. Not trust between communities, not trust. And and the reality is, trust doesn't come quickly. Trust doesn't come to a sermon. Trust doesn't come by just saying something. Understanding and trust, it takes time. It takes relationship. And so I'd ask you, do, do you have any of those kind of relationships? Have you intentionally built relationships with people of other races? you do life together with. It's so easy, and it's not by intention, but it's just easy to kind of drift into our own world and our own sphere and, and never develop it. You know, 20 years ago, I t- told you my friend Lloyd, I-, I had no clue the gift God was bringing in my life. Lee and I were leading a small group. We were part of the seminary in that. And when Lloyd and Jan came into our home, we had this little duplex, and we were in a small group and we, we would end up hanging out together. And, and Lloyd told me pretty frankly early on. He had a lot of wounds, rightfully so. And, and he said, you know, my grandmother told me, you can be friends with white people, but you can't trust them. And, and she didn't say that out of malice. She said it out of experience. I, I tell you, one of the greatest gifts of just time together And life together, and kids together, is slowly over time. And and guys, this doesn't come instantly, so don't go out immediately, oh man, I'm gonna force this. It's hard in places. You have to speak honest in places. But but you can start reaching that point where as trust is developed, you can ask hard things. You can ask things and go, hey, I know this is probably even wrong for me to ask. Help me understand this. You can hear things you don't like hearing. You may not agree with, but it takes time and relationship and trust. And right now, there's so much going on. There's institutional change that needs to happen. There's so many complex issues around this. And it's really easy to look at it and go, this is too complex for me. We'll never fix this and do nothing about it. I I would challenge you, if you do nothing else, would you look in your sphere, look in your world, and go, am I developing relationships across races? You know, at Venture, I'm thankful. We live in a a very multi-ethnic city, and we're growing as a multi-ethnic church. But it can be deceiving a little bit because we can come and do church together but really never go to these levels. At the levels where, where you put down your guard a little bit. And, and as we do so, I'd, I'd encourage you, we need to apply this verse well. Know this, beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And, and I would say this specifically for those of us in the white community. This would be a great verse to apply right now be quick to hear. Don't, don't get defensive quick. It's easy to get defensive. I feel it. But don't get defensive. Don't allow our guilt to keep us from hearing what's being said. Everything that inflames so quickly and the terms around it. I mean, you take a phrase like black lives matter. And I know even as I say that for some of you, kind of we go on the edge, but let's talk. Let's be honest. I mean, as that phrase was put forward, You know what was responded to often, especially by the white community? You'd hear people say, somebody would say, black lives matter. And then the quick response was, well, all lives matter. You know, when you make that response in that moment, you know what we've said or you've said, I don't really hear what you're trying to say. It becomes dismissive. You're saying in that, well, we're not going to focus on what's going on here. Let me take a a similar issue on a different tack. What if I spoke up about an issue I really care about, the life of the unborn and the atrocity of it in this country? And if I said, we need to talk about the unborn, we need to talk about the issue of abortion, we need to talk about the life of the unborn. And somebody said to me real quickly, whoa, 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 all children matter. All children matter. And I go, yeah, well, yeah, all children matter, but, but we need to talk about what's happening here with this issue. And I go, uh, look, do you not care about all children? Let's just talk about all children. We don't really need to focus there. See, if that was a response, I'd be really frustrated because there's a place to stop and go, we need to focus here. And I would just encourage us there's a place to stop and say black lives matter. The lives of people like George Floyd. The lives of Ahmaud Armory. The life of Breonna Taylor who should be celebrating her birthday this weekend. The, the lives, I mean, I could go down the list of name after name after name. Walter Scott and Eric Gardner And Rodney King. Can we just stop for a moment and go, that matters. And it matters to us. And we want to listen. Guys, for this really to be able to take hold, you got to develop relationship. And it's hard. And it's uncomfortable. But it's what we're called to do as the church. As the people of God. And and in this season, even in this, some of you right now, you're you're probably typing out the email. I get it. Just be slow to speak. Can we just listen a little bit? And, And allow those who've been through this experience to speak to us and to lead at it. The next issue that you see around this, it's a missional issue. It's a missional issue. And here's what I mean. Our message to the world depends on our treatment of each other. God designed it that way. In fact, one of the most powerful verses around this is from 2 Corinthians. Look at this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us a ministry where we're called to people that they can be right with God. They can be reconciled. But notice in that, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that a powerful line? He says, you're the ambassador. An ambassador represents a country. An ambassador represents a people. When you go to a foreign country, you go to the embassy, you see the ambassador. They are the representative of that country. They tell that people what their country is like. And Paul says that God has made us the ambassadors so that people know what heaven is like. They know what what his culture is like. He's literally making his appeal through us. And, And because of that, Guys, we can't treat people in a way that they would look at us and go, hmm, I don't know if I trust that God. I don't know if I can believe that message. That's why this is so important. It's the treatment because it doesn't reflect who our God is. And, and, and we have to own that and recognize it. And, and look at it again. I go back to Jesus. If you want to learn from anyone, look how Jesus did this. Jesus didn't just teach on it, he also modeled it. One of my favorite chapters is John chapter 4, when Jesus is going through Samaria. And remember, Samaritans were the people that the Jews looked down on. Samaritans were the people that they stayed separated from. Samaritans were the ones they had the most strife with. And as they're going, Jesus sends his disciples to go get food, and he sits down outside of a well, and there across from him is a Samaritan woman. And in Jewish culture, you didn't sit together. You didn't talk together. Certainly not a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. And what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at her and says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? Does one of the most radical statements in Scripture. Because to cross lines like that, wait, to talk to a woman? To drink? From the water that she would get In fact, she says to him, you, "You don't even have a cup." She looks at him and she says, "How are you a Jewish man, talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and you want me to give you water and you're going to drink from my cup?" Now obviously, this is pre-COVID and all that. But see, Jesus is doing something in that. He's stepping across lines. This is so important. It makes statements. You know, I remember years ago in college, I was on a construction crew. I worked on construction team. And I I worked, and mainly the crew I worked with, they were all black, African-American. There's a few other guys, white guys like me. And and on the summer days especially, we used to put this jug of water out, big igloo jug. We'd put a 10-pound block of ice, fill it up with a hose, and and you just hit the water jug all day long. And I remember we, we had a guy that came out there, good guy. But he didn't like the germs in the water because it came out of a hose. And and so we're we're sitting there at water break and we watch as he goes over and drinks out of his own water bottle. I remember one of the black guys looked at me and kind of said, is he too good for our water? I I grabbed him later. I was like, you need to drink the water over here. And and again, it, it wasn't racially motivated for him. He was like, do you know how much germs are in that hose? I said, yeah, I don't care. Drink the water over here. It makes a statement. And, and I love how Jesus I mean he's always looking for the opportunities. How do we connect? How do I share this message? I don't care where the lines are. I don't care what people said. I don't care what I'm supposed to do according to society. In fact, his disciples come back and they're horrified. They're looking at him like, oh, he's talking to a Samaritan woman!" And they kind of pull him aside. They said, Jesus, come on, you need to eat. We went and got food. And he looks at him and he says, you know what my food is? My food is to do my Father's will. I'm doing what sustains me. And, and see, he's so passionate about sharing this good news across all lives. And I got to tell you, as a church, we have to ask ourselves, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, are we doing anything Anything that keeps people from coming for the gospel? Are we treating people in any way that keeps them from knowing what the character of our God is really like? Because He's entrusted us with that message. It's why this is so important. It's why we have to be honest even when it makes us uncomfortable. It's why we have to keep moving into it. Final thing I'd say is it's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. Christ alone changes lives. See, racism is a heart issue. It goes back to the fallenness. It it goes back to our pride. And and when it's manifest, Jesus is the one who changes hearts. That's why I, I am so passionate about this next series we're doing. That's why I want you to invite as many people that apologetically we can answer questions so that hearts can be changed. I believe it more than anything else, people have to come to Christ to experience full heart change. But, but let's be careful, because sometimes that's where we stop. Just as well, they'll come to Christ. Obviously, though, we have to keep growing in Christ. See, salvation is not just coming to Jesus. Salvation is looking more like Jesus. And this is the part that I think we have to embrace. In Christ, we actually change. We actually wrestle with the hard changes in our life. We actually wrestle with the issues that maybe we've ignored or not talked about, that it's just easy to put on the side until they erupt again. But that's not how we live the Christian life. In fact, I've always loved Paul's challenge in Philippians. He says, therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence. He's writing this church in Philippi. He says, You guys are so obedient, not just when I'm there, but also in my absence. I'm calling you, and look what he tells them to do work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he's not telling them, Oh, you gotta go do some works to get saved. You gotta go do this to earn God's favor. He's writing a group that were Christians. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says, work out, and notice how he puts at the end of it, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He says, work out your salvation, work out, continue to work on what Christ has done in you, continue to see it fleshed out, and and take it seriously, work it out with fear and trembling. See, it's this honest call that, yes, you have been saved by Christ, but you haven't arrived yet. And, and you've got to keep growing. And you've got to keep addressing. And you've got to keep examining, okay, where is my fallenness showing up? And for us as a church, for each one of us, I think when it comes to this issue, We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it is hard. And it is uncomfortable. We don't like talking about it. We don't like facing it. There are parts, frankly, that you feel really guilty. And there are things in the conversation we'll say where, where you get it wrong, but if we walk humbly before God and with each other, Even when you maybe say something clumsy or wrong, if if you've developed relationship enough, someone can speak into your life and go, you're not looking at this the right way. You can't say that. You don't know what this feels like. We hear it and we grow. Don't we want to grow in Christ in every area of our life so that we can live like Him and look like Him? I would challenge you in conclusion. I could probably give you a hundred things. Here's what I would challenge you to do. I'd ask that all of us take some time and get alone before God. In fact, I'd ask you to do this. Would you sit just silently before God for eight minutes and 46 seconds? It's a long time. It will emphasize to you how long it was that George Floyd had a knee on his neck. It's also a time to just sit there quietly and ask God. Search me. Show me. Reveal to me. Because in Christ, I can change. Would everyone do that? And then with it, because I think the Holy Spirit will start stirring you. I know he's stirring us as a church. This isn't just about a sermon. This is about moving into it, and and the proof of it will be over time. But I'd say this today. Do something. Do justice. Find one thing you can get involved in. Find one cause you can put your might behind Think about how you're going to vote. Think about how you can help. Think about on a local level what God's empowered you to do because you have to steward that well. You know, as we close, one of the the gifts of this week has been different leaders in our church, especially black men and women who've spoken up. Some have written me. Some have come alongside. Some have said, "Hey, hey, we want to help in this. And Mark Thorpe, who's in our body, I've so appreciated Mark this week. He he has been uh, so good and forthright. He sent an email, and and I loved in it. I just want to end this message with his email because it's, it's a poetic but poignant and pointed call. In it, just listen to Mark's words. He says, love is active and act is big. It is not blind. It does the right thing. It cares. It actively chooses to make a meaningful difference in the lives of others outside our circle. Indifference, and again, that was in bold, is the opposite of love. It is insidious. It is a lethal, odorless gas. It is unseen but present. It is an inconspicuous, devastating disease that has the power to destroy our humanity. It is disregarding and dismissing those outside our circle. It actively chooses to dismiss the dignity, the pain, the frustrations, the struggles, and yes, the hopes and desires of a people. Indifference is apathy in action. Then he closes with these last lines choose aside. Choose love and not apathy. Choose to stand up for others, especially those outside your circle. Choose not to return evil for evil. Choose to be a blessing. Choose to be actively engaged. Choose to change and make changes. Choose to be a difference maker. Choose to be uncomfortable. Choose to act right now and to continue to act. Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I lift this message. Lord, where my words have not been accurate, where I've spoken in ways that cause hurt, I I pray that your grace would go before me. But Lord, where my words have been uncomfortable and even agitating, Where we need to be agitated, I pray you would. Where we need to hear the strong voice of your prophets and of your word. Where we need to live out what you lived out, Jesus. I pray you would teach us to do justice. And to know how to do that well. Lord, we confess, we we don't. And so I pray that you would raise up new leaders. I pray that we would listen to voices maybe we've ignored. I pray that you would bring your church to the forefront. That we wouldn't wait for the government to do something. We wouldn't wait for somebody to come alongside and and do this. But as your church, we would live this out. Lord, I pray you direct our hearts on a personal level. We have the privilege here at Venture of having people from all different countries, all different races. Lord, would we take those hard next steps to form real relationships with each other, to do life and to learn from each other. Lord, finally, I I just pray missionally for our witness, where we have heard our witness, I confess. I pray that we would show the world the kind of God that you are, that the reconciliation we have with you would show up in the way that we treat each other. So, Lord, we we lay this, and I pray this, and I pray that it would start with me. Don't pray this as a message for others to follow. Continue to do your hard and good work in my heart. And I pray this in Christ's name. Please. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.